34, Exodus chapter 34. Please turn there in your Bible. Please utilize the Bible in front of you there in the pew uh, compartment if you'd like. And uh, before we really dive in, Bob and Chris, uh, you're not the only old timers here. We've got Harold and Diana Ludwig here. It's good to see you folks. <laughs> so, uh, please greet them. And, uh, yeah. I, I can't go any further. I've got to mention, it's, it's good having Michael and Jeannie Anderson here also visiting from Carson City. Yay. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, now I've gotten into it. Who else? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, and again, just a reminder, if you are here visiting uh, and checking out Parkside, we'd love to have you come on a regular basis um, and join us as a family of believers here. Uh, if you have any questions uh, about Parkside Bible Fellowship, you can talk to me or Pastor Brendan afterwards or Chris Ward. He's up here or check out our Welcome Center out in the back uh, in the foyer there. Well, last week, we, uh, we really uh, had to figure out how Israel was going to get back on track because previous to that, we studied the, the golden calf. And um, we, you know, I, I think I implied it. We can sit back and, and read about it and, and look at them and really point the finger saying, you blew it. You blew it. And in response... You remember what God said to Moses, I'm not going to be in your midst. I'm not going to be in your midst because of this. Because if I continue on, I, I'm just going to consume you. And what was that about? You remember? It's about his holiness. It's not that he's the big angry God and he's going to clobber anyone, but he's holy. He's perfectly holy and he will respond in his true nature with what has happened and what had happened was the people got off track and went after false worship a false worship that they were familiar with from back in Egypt okay so really we pick up here um, in light of what happened we talked about last week they needed um, to get back on track they needed restoration from God and they needed intercession from God's representative, Moses. And Moses was faithful in that way, demonstrating intercessory, intercessory prayer. And that happens in this next passage in Exodus 34. Um, and so we just carry on basically with part two of getting back on track for Israel. And... Um, I, I think the key, as we study this passage and read through it, we see really the key is what God said, I'm not going to be in your midst anymore. And that's the very thing that Israel reacted to, responded to. Oh, we're in a mess now. <laughs> we don't have God in our midst. And again, Moses steps up to intercede on behalf of the people. And that is critical that's critical for us in our time right now because we needed a perfect Moses to do that for us. And that's Jesus. And so we continue to see Jesus throughout uh, this study in Exodus and throughout the Old Testament. 
And so, really, another way to look at this passage this morning in Exodus 34 is to, what we have really is some remedies for idolatry. Remedies for Israel's idolatry and thus for our problem with idolatry. And yes, you and I still in this day, Christian or not, have a problem with idolatry. It's there. It's something that can pop up all the time. Right? So we need, like Israel, Christians need to be brought back on the pathway of walking with the Lord Jesus, of confessing our sin and getting things right again and having that intimate communion and fellowship with Him and continue in that way. Continue to admit our sin. Continue to admit our need and keep walking with the Lord. So, we're going to consider these four tips, if you will, these four tips in regards to um, how we avoid, how we best avoid idolatry. That's one way of looking at this passage. And so we start with point number one, restoring the priority of God's law. Restoring the priority of God's law. That's what we see. The Lord shares his objective, letter A. He shares his objective with Moses. He says in verse 1, look at it, Exodus 34, starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to, the Mount, to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So it's like cut off from any extra audience or grazing of animals, anything. Just Moses. Okay? And so God's concern is getting His Word, the law, put back in its right place. It's a priority. And this is what carries on since God has given us His Word. This is what carries on throughout all of Scripture. It's His Word that's the priority. And for you, my friend, it's the Word of God, the Bible, that's the priority. You must understand that. It's not that... Well, let me tell you about my little experience that I've had, or you tell us about your experience that you've had. No, it's about the proclaimed Word of God, and we're going to hear more about that as we go. And then verse 3 shares, here's Moses. So, simply, Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. What's the big deal about that? Moses obeyed God <laughs> again. So, we've got, here's what God instructed, and now here's God, uh, Moses in obedience, right? But that's important that we understand. It's not like we're just going to pass along and push this off aside. No, we're going to get the, the tablets of stone set again, because Moses had broken them. 
Right. So, the next, number two, is receiving the revelation. Receiving the revelation of God's name. Verse 5. So Moses is up there and verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Okay. Um, Brian, I think there's a ring. Or has my hearing gone bad and I've got a ring in my ears? <laughs> Is there? I think there's a ring there. And I sure, if I need more volume, God's given me the gift. Okay? You ready? All right. So, the Lord descended in that cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed what? The name. Proclaim the name. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, we're going to see here. This is very important. Um, most of you have heard it in the past at one time or another. But the name of the Lord is equal to what? The nature of God. The nature of God. In the Hebrew context, or in the, I'm sorry, the Hebrew culture, one's name was meant to communicate the essence or the character of a person. Right? And thus with God. His name is about the, the very nature of God, His character. He reveals His very own nature to man by proclamation, announcement. He proclaimed His name. And so, what we have then is, I believe, in letter A and B, that we treasure His proclamation. We treasure His proclamation and we treasure letter B, His presence. In that order, God proclaims His name. It's His Word. And He is there, and we see Moses' response to it. So, um, notice what is recorded here. In verse 5, 6, and 7. We're just going to read it, so follow along. He's there. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. In verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. There it is again, by the way. We said this in Sunday school. Emphasis, right? Emphasis in, in the word. So he proclaimed. And then he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We are to treasure what was just proclaimed there. That is critical that we understand this is not just a, another file for knowledge. This is something to treasure. Notice that Moses recorded as to how it went down, how it actually happened. He, that's what he recorded here in Exodus. There is no description given of what God's back looked like. Do you understand that? He's not describing, well, um, what I saw about God's back, because God said, you'll see my back, right? 
But no description of, uh, of what Moses saw with his eyes was given because, look back in chapter 33, verse 20, what does it say? God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and what? Live. Instead, Moses tells what he didn't see but what he heard. What God proclaimed. He heard, he describes what he heard. He recorded for us God's self-revelation, better known as his word. God makes himself known to his people through his word. We said that this morning in Sunday school, the importance of the truthfulness of God's word, the reliability of God's word. This is not just some book of myths and cool stories. It's God's word. And you and I need to respond to it in that way. Verse 6 and 7, you know, he says, the Lord, the Lord, says that twice. It's Yahweh. A God merciful. Now, we, we, we race, we kind of race through this list because we like it and we're familiar. Most of us as Christians, we're familiar with the, the listing. He's merciful, gracious, loving, kind, blah, 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 you know. But let's just walk through these here. He's merciful. He, what? Being merciful, he withholds just punishment from guilty sinners. He's gracious, giving what people do not deserve. He pours out gifts upon mankind, all of mankind. The rain falls on the, the just and the unjust. That's God's grace. All sorts of blessing from God, His grace, giving what we do not deserve. Why? Because we're sinners. We deserve just punishment. Really, that's what it boils down to. Then he says in the list, it keeps going, he's slow to anger. God is very patient with guilty sinners. Even if and when they've misbehaved and failed, God is very patient, slow to anger. He's abounding. I love this. And, and most of all of us love this. He's abounding abounding in. Think of that. What does it mean to abound in? Steadfast love and faithfulness. He abounds in that. Why didn't he say that about the other ones? It's just interesting. But he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. That ought to cause there to be some sort of security for you if you're a believer. <laughs> right? Then he says... Um, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And we could say, well, wait a minute. Why, why does it say millions? Cabillions. Trigamillions or whatever, you know. <laughs> but I think that's the point here is that it's the idea that there's thousands and we could even look at the context and say, well, it's thousands of generations. God is keeping steadfast love for thousands. He's forgiving. Look at all that He forgives. In the list, here's iniquity, transgression, sin. He forgives all kinds of sin. But who He will not, or He will by no means clear the guilty. Sin will still be punished. There's still consequences. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Some have said, well, see, God's a big bully. He, he just 
wants to show his anger. No, it's, again, here's the consequences of man's sin and God's just dealings with that. So, in that passage right there, the issue of God uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, you and I would be wise as fathers or parents in saying, hey, I want to I want to eradicate, you know, practices and habits that I, I've grown up with. I want to get rid of those so that, you know, we, we have a, a cut, a, a stop to it. You know, not that I'm going to stop all sin in my life. I, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to kill off sin as a believer. Mortify the deeds of the flesh in your life. So... The issue is, you know, be wise. Turn away from evil. Turn away from wickedness. Flee idolatry. Okay? So, that's treasuring his proclamation. Then, um, the response is in verses 8 and 9. Look at the response. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said... So there's the connection. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please... Let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. How rich is that? Oh my goodness. Here's, here's the response. And we, we are to treasure His presence, and we would understand that, you know, when we gather as a, as a congregation, we need to treasure His presence first. It's great to have fellowship with each other, but we need to treasure as we gather, whether we gather in this room or the fellowship hall or the park or where, we need to treasure his presence and encourage one another in that way. And Moses quickly, you know, the idea is urgently, he did it right away, bowed down, humbling himself in God's presence. It was the only right response. Okay? What is worship? You think you know. What, what is worship? And most of us could put down on, on the test paper for that answer a, a right answer, saying, there, I got the right answer. But we know it goes beyond just the right answer. What is worship in your life? What does it look like in your life? There needs to be a practice of it. And I want more than... Concern for Christians, no matter if you're here visiting or what. The concern is that you're, you're growing as a worshiper. And that doesn't mean knowing the top ten top songs in the Christian life. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It means to worship Him in response to His revelation. Okay? And when I say that, the revelation is right here. Do you spend time in the Word during the week? You know, that's, again, back to Sunday school emphasis and encouragement. Let's spend time in the Word and respond to Him as worshipers. The, the idea of worship is that the servant responds to the greatness of his Lord. You're responding to the greatness of who God is. 
It's the, another way to look at it. It's the creature's gratitude for the creator. That's, that's worship in a simple form. And here's where it, it needs to get personal now is that worship is the expression of your love for God as your father. Your love. And so love and worship really need to come together. What do you love? What do you love more than anything else? You know, we talk about, well, I just love uh, chili cheeseburgers. Well, we know that doesn't mean love like love God. You know, to love God means that's the highest. That's the best. That's the ultimate to love God. And yet, here's the thing. Listen, here's the problem is that idolatry sneaks into my heart and your heart to capture my love. It's not supposed to be that way. We know that. We know that. There needs to be an on, you know, stay on track. That's the reason for the, the title of the message. Stay on track. And that's not your effort. That's not your strength. That's His grace and His help and His assistance. All that. To keep walking with God. And to worship Him in that way. You are a worshiper. Okay? And notice then what happens with the worship is what? Prayer. Here, and he prayed. He said to the Lord. He, he, he responded immediately in prayer. Now, he knows. Here, here's the problem. God, you just said you're going to not be in our midst. And the people, you know, started mourning. Okay. Moses. Leader. Mediator. Steps in right away to say, okay, God, um, please, if I have now found favor. What's he doing? What's he doing in his prayer? He's coming, saying, I, I stand in this grace. I stand in this grace. If I have now found grace in your sight, oh, Lord, please let the Lord go in, in, the, midst, in, our, in the midst for us. So let's just consider these four little aspects of his prayer. He starts with the fact that God has offered grace. That's what he's offered everyone here. And, but he, it's for you that have come to faith in Christ, you have his grace. His resource is unending. Okay? We have his grace. He says, so... If I have found favor in your sight. Then secondly, he prays what, what God had already promised. It's already something. He's not reaching out for some kind of uh, weird request. He's going on what God already promised. Asking God to go in their midst. He pleads for mercy. A third one. He pleads for mercy. He's acknowledging that they are a stiff-necked people. And then he asked God to take the people as his own possession. To keep them as his own. So, there's some good tips there for your prayer life. Are you praying on, the, on that kind of foundation, on that kind of basis? Okay. 
All right. So, it's receiving the revelation of God's name. It, it means treasuring His proclamation and treasuring His very presence. Then number three, on the back of your outline, number three, renewing the purpose of God's covenant. This is the, the biggest section in this chapter, which we're not going to cover in detail, but chapter 34, 10 through 28. So, God answers Moses' prayer right away in verse 10. Look at it. And, be, and he said... God, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Based on, here's the, the renewing of the covenant. So, God reassures Moses of the covenant. It will be kept. And it will be awesome. <laughs> but here's one way to break this, this section up in this chapter here. Um, verses 10 through 17 would be the guardrails that God gives. The guardrails. And I say guardrails because it keeps us in, in, on track. It keeps us in the, in the road. And what's he saying? Verses um, you look at, at verse 12. God says, Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Watch it. Lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall... And it can't, carries on. You shall tear down the altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. This is all about uh, the outflow of their idolatry. He starts by saying, here's the guardrails and you need to keep this. Here, here's where we're at. No treaties. Make no treaties with these pagan nations. It'll be a snare to you. Wipe out their altars, their pillars, their ash. They're going to affect you and water you down. All, all those kind of things. You know, God gave this and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know some of the results, it didn't go well. It did not go well for the nation of Israel. Because why? They kept on compromising with the other nations. Okay? But God is saying, here are the guardrails. And most of you, you know, you travel at nighttime. Isn't it good to have guardrails on some of those roads that you're not familiar with? It's not like you're trying to go right up against them. You're just glad that they're there, right? So this is—it's very important that we understand. Here's the first part of this uh, renewing the covenant: is hey, here are the guardrails. Stay away from these things. Don't intermarry either. Don't intermarry with the other nations because you're just going to falter to their forms of idolatry. Young people that aren't, I, I've mentioned in the past, but young people, those of you who are not married, that you, you dream about getting married someday, um, you need to say, okay, I, I'm going to stand with what God's counsel is. I'm going to stand with God's counsel in my, my life right now because I don't want to experience some of the stuff that Israel experienced by intermarrying 
There's a reason God says it. Okay? So, this is where it gets its, you know, the seed thought starts coming up. Israel being warned. Okay? So, and then verse 14, he's saying, It's because you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose name is Jealous. You see how that comes together? How it connects? God's a jealous God, my friend. And that doesn't mean he's, again, mean-spirited, got some anger issues in in his personality. No. It's a good thing that God is jealous. He wants you to be totally devoted to him and him alone. Why? Because he's the one true God. Everything else that beckons us, that lures us away, is a false idol of some sort or another. And so we say, here's the, the total devotion that we all need. Has anyone here in this room perfected that total devotion? How come? I mean, you've been a Christian a long time. What's the deal? <laughs> How come you haven't, you know, perfected that total devotion? Well, we know the problem is we need to just say, okay, I'm going to get back to walking with the Lord today, right now. Right now is the testimony that God wants to build in your life right now to rely on His grace, okay? So not only guardrails, but in verses 18 through 28, the guidelines. And here's more about the positive aspect of maintaining their worship for their blessing, You know, he reminds them to keep the feast of the unleavened bread. That's the Passover meal. Observe the Sabbath. Uh, Observe the feast of weeks and the feast of ingathering. Uh, Three annual pilgrim feasts and the weekly Sabbath. There's a reminder of how you ought to have your life ordered. You know, that again, for the Israelites, it was a national thing, but it helps us understand. Have an order regarding your life as a worshiper. God was calling Israel to maintain His divine plan for their worship. Not to have any others. The the disciplines of worship have got to be set in their lives as it is with us. And if not, what happened with the golden calf can happen again. Okay? So... The idea that God is jealous God is because He's the one true God. Because He loves us. He has what's best in mind for us. And He is a jealous God. James chapter 4, verse 5. He yearns jealously over us. He, he jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. And again, it's, it's a... It's a very beautiful thing. And it's a protective thing, isn't it? So remember, here's the cure or the remedy for idolatry is let's stick with God's plan for worship. Let's stick with God's blueprint for true worship found in His Word. So the point for believers is in all this to be distinct from the world. That's what God wanted for Israel. That's what God wants for you and I as Christians. Be distinct from the world. How do you do that? Okay, I want to be distinct from the world. I love the Lord. I want to, I want to do that. What you're saying, Pastor, I get it. 
abide in the word. Abide in the word. Abide. Continue in it. That's what develops a mature believer, not to mention a mature worshiper. Point number four. The end of the chapter, verses 29 through 35, is revealing the reality of God's glory. Revealing the reality of God's glory. This Verse 28 tells us, Moses was there for another 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He returned to the people in verses 29 and 30. And the people saw him and what? They ran up and hugged him? No, they were afraid. They were afraid. His face was bright and glowing enough to strike fear in the people. And uh, I think most of us that we've looked at Exodus and been reading in it, we understand here's simply the reflection of God's glory. So letter A, a mere reflection. A mere reflection. The skin of his face shone forth, glowed forth, because he had been talking with God. He had been spending time with God. His face showed that. He was reflecting God's glory. And I I believe this is what seeing his back, when the Bible suggests that Moses could only see his back, the idea behind that is, well, here's the, the periphery, if you will, of God's glory. And in this manner, by allowing Moses to come back down with the tablets and his face aglow from spending time with God, God's really kind of stamping Moses as the official mediator of the Sinai Covenant. And notice it's in seeing and hearing. Moses was transformed with God's, with this radiant glory from God. I wonder if this was uh, considered, you know, once Matthew 17 rolls around. In Matthew 17, we have the report of the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took some of his disciples up and who should be there, but here's Moses and Elijah. You just wonder if Moses uh, thought back to his days at Mount Sinai and what, what happened there in the Mount of Transfiguration. It was not Moses being the, the star, not Elijah being the, the all-time uh, top prophet. Is Jesus. And God spoke, saying, This is my son. Listen to him. And that's what we have in this connection now. Here's Moses with a mere reflection. Not the real deal, but just a reflection. And now Moses' shining face points us to Jesus, who revealed God's glory. There's differences. Differences, not just reflecting His glory, but representing His glory because He perfectly displayed God's glory. Jesus perfectly displayed God's glory. So letter B, an exact representation. 
That's what the book of Hebrews gives us in chapter 1. An exact representation. Uh, Mark down John chapter 1, verse 14 and 17. The Word became flesh and what? Dwelt or tabernacled. Old Testament reference to the tabernacle. We could even say the Word became flesh and tented among us. That's the idea. Tabernacled, dwelt among us. And what? We beheld His glory. We saw it. There it is. In, there He is, right there. That's Jesus. We beheld His glory. The glory as of the only. Uh, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, when we read that in John chapter 1, about Jesus coming and being the glory of God and being full of grace and truth, you know what that you know what that's showing? Here's here's a reference back to Exodus chapter thirty four. God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And when Jesus is labeled as the, the one who is full of grace and truth, there's the perfect listen, there's the perfect balance that only Jesus had. Full of grace, full of truth. Okay. And then verse 17 in John chapter 1, verse 17 says the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, and then, you know, the, the end of chapter 34 talks about a veil. Moses put a veil over his face and uh, it was to show that he had this glory and it's like uh, he, he's trying to reveal it, keep it, keep it uh, to himself. But then when he goes in to meet with God, what does he do? He takes the veil off. He wants to have God speak to him and get that glow again. <laughs> then he goes back to the people. And when he talks to the people, he's got the veil off. He's talking to the people. They see the glory of God. But then he puts the veil back on. What's going on with this? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's really about the Old Covenant. It's symbolic of the Old Covenant fading away, fading glory. And then what does he do? What does Paul do? I'm sorry, what does Paul do? Brings in the issue of the New Covenant. The New Covenant, where the glory is right there, Jesus Christ the representative of the new covenant, the mediator of the new covenant. Okay? So, that brings us to... Uh, I, I want to make sure you, you write down Hebrews chapter 1 um, regarding that reference there. He's the exact representation of the Father. Okay? So, we need to wrap this up. So, what's, what's your resolve what do you take home with this? You know, what do you go with? Okay? I want to just touch on these points. So, number one, does God's Word have priority in my life? Does God's Word have priority in my life? In my choices, in my decisions? In what areas do I need uh, strengthening in? 
um, do I keep stumbling in certain areas in disobedience? Evaluate that. You know, um, lots of people are on Facebook. Okay? They post messages on Facebook. Well, let's do this. We don't have to be on Facebook, but let's post the Word of God in our lives. Let's post that there. Let's make that what's clear to everyone. And then you, believer, draw your heart and your mind to do it. To be doers of the Word, right? Then another one to consider as a resolve. Do, um, to recognize what God has revealed right here in the Word. Am I a student of the Word? Recognize that He has revealed Himself. If you want to know God, read about Jesus in the New Testament. He has already proclaimed His name, His nature, His character. How do I respond? Is my heart attuned to worship Him like Moses? Is my heart preset to worship Him as Moses was quick to worship? Then, what kind of guardrails do I have in my life? Are the guardrails being neglected? Any in need of divine reinforcing in my life with the, in regards to the, guard, the guardrails that God has laid out? First Corinthians 10, 21 and 22 remind and warns the believers not to provoke the Lord to jealousy. And it involves communion in particular, that, that leads into communion, a, a reminder about communion. That's why we try to say, don't take the elements of communion in an unworthy manner. Examine your hearts. If we belong to Jesus, He is jealous for our devotion. He will not tolerate any strange God or false God. He expects complete devotion. And finally... Regarding God's glory and my reflecting it. Do I appear to be wearing a veil? Do you try to wear a veil to hide and, and appear spiritual? Do you wear a veil? <laughs> and so the question is for all of us, what is it that you are projecting in your life? It's a simple illustration. There's the projector. That doesn't make the words. That doesn't give the message. That's a silly little projector. You are a projector. What are you projecting? Do you project complaint and worry and depression? Or are you, are you projecting, here's the effort, the drive, the walk to project God's glory in your life? You are made for God's glory. You are made to give God glory. You're a worshiper. You're made to worship Him. You're made to give God glory. You're a projector. Project His glory in your life. What do I project to my spouse? What do I project to my family and my friends? What do I project to co-workers? And remember, the Christian life is not about projecting you in whether it's tough times or great times, whether there's great accomplishment, great success, it's not about projecting you. It's about projecting what God has done in your life. Same thing with troubles and trials and problems. 
I got problems. Is God a great Savior in your life? Project His glory, whether it's, you know, for the good or for the bad. It's about the fact that He is the light of the world. And Christ can shine through us. He is the light. Are you being a conduit for that? God help us with this. It's only by His grace that we can, we can go for it like this and stay on track, my friend. It's not out of your, you know, well, I'm going to try harder. No, it's His grace that you can accomplish it, accomplish it. And all for His glory. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Let's pray together.